0: This is The Blueprint, brought to you by Executive Platforms. Uh, Thank you very much, Neil. That was quite the introduction. I'm glad to hear that you're using so many Microsoft products. That's fantastic. Um, Yeah, I've had a checkered history. I started off, I'm a manufacturing engineer by trade, and I started off in high-volume manufacturing with uh, Coca-Cola. To date myself, Um, my first job with Coca-Cola was the introduction of the 500 milliliter plastic bottle. Um, So yeah, unfortunately, I don't look it, but I actually am that old. Uh, I joined Microsoft back in 1999, and at that time, we we only made uh, big box software. I've been part of the release of every Microsoft product since Windows 98, Um, all of the good ones and some of the ones that we'd probably like to forget as well. Um, I've been part of some of the biggest acquisitions uh, in supply chain, including uh, Nokia a few years back whenever we decided to go into the phones business. Um, And so supply chain for me has been a a passion and a vocation. It's what I've always done the whole way through my career. And so when I was asked to talk today, um, first of all, you know, I made a rule a couple of years ago um, presenting at any uh, type of conference, which was never, ever, ever present after Nike because their videos are just too cool. There, there's nothing that our marketing department can give me that would in any way inspire you the way that those Nike... You know, I, I went back to my room and actually re-watched that Russian one again, because I thought, that's such a cool advert. That's really cool. So, unfortunately, I don't have anything quite as, uh, as sexy to, to uh, show you today in terms of videos. But then I'm in supply chain, and so um, as part of this summit, um, I thought it was really interesting that they, that, um, they wanted a, a supply chain perspective. And when I was thinking about what my talk should be, um, I entitled it Next Generation Supply Chain Innovation. Um, kind of a, a scary topic and a, a bit of a touchy one, but it's, it's this interesting time um, oops, uh, in the industry. Um, I was with one of our sales teams a couple of weeks ago, and they give me this statement. They said, being omni-channel is no longer enough. We now need to be omnipresent. And I thought, here we go. The sales team are again giving me some sort of ambiguous statement, which means that I'm going to have to redesign a supply chain in some uh, shape or form. But I talked a lot with them about it. And, and even listening to the presentations this morning from uh, from Omar, from Matali, from Nike, um, this really is prominent from a supply chain perspective because as a supply chain professional, I firmly believe that while everything else is really interesting, supply chain is the core of most companies. It's what finally gets the product to the customer. That's what we're all about. And so being omnipresent is really a reflection of how customer behavior and the consumer in their own right have actually changed over the years. Um, Being omnipresent from a supply chain perspective means you need to think about not only supply chain, but the world in which you operate in a completely different way. The term supply chain itself infers that there's going to be a chain of events. One thing has to lead to another, leads to another. Um, I was talking at uh, the Howard University earlier this week um, with a bunch of MBA students, and I said, I no longer can think about this as a supply chain, and I think about it as a supply web, because all the transactions um, that we know and love are currently flowing both forward and reverse throughout the supply chain and throughout the cloud and throughout all of our different data sets. And so it's changing the nature of supply chain and changing the nature of how we need to think about supply chain and actually getting a product to the customer. So when I think about omnichannel versus omnipresent, what omnipresent means to me is, I've got to start thinking about ways of getting the product to the customer in a very different mentality than we've ever done before. Um, I do know a lot of people in the industry. I get to speak quite a lot in the industry. And this is one of the challenges. Whether we like it or not, supply chain is archaic. Um, A distribution center today pretty much looks exactly like a distribution center did 40 years ago. Um, Amazon have some beautiful videos showing you robots tearing around a warehouse. I've been in that warehouse. It doesn't were quite as it looks like on that video, because there seemed to be still way too many people in that warehouse picking, packing, and shipping things for it to be fully automated. But I think we're at this beautiful point of inflection from a supply chain perspective, completely driven by the consumer and consumer behavior. I, I love this quote um, from Neil Blumenthal. Um, he said, there's a convergence happening. It's not either or. You're either online or offline. You need to be in both places, and they need to be seamlessly integrated. Because, again, this transition, and you heard it this morning in both Nike and Facebook, you heard that, hey, no longer, this is now, to uh, you know, relish my point, it's now omnipresent. There isn't one or the other. The customer expects a seamless transition, whether they're buying on their phone or they're in a physical store or they're online or wherever they are, They expect that nice seamless transition of being able to get the product. And I think about that as a data problem and a supply chain problem. I talked to Nike about 18 months ago, and the conversation that we had at that time, because we're we're non-competing, so we we can have these fluid conversations, and the concept that we talked about at the time was this federation of inventory. It was this ability uh, for a consumer to go into a store. Nordstrom actually harnessed this quite well in a slightly different way. Whenever you go into Nordstrom and you take a shirt off a rack, for example, and you take it to the checkout and it's not in your size, they will offer as part of that point of sale experience, they will say, I'm really sorry, we don't have your size in stock, but we will ship it to your home location. And that's, a, that's absolutely beautiful, but that's all within the store. Right now, even the capabilities that I'm uh, realizing from, a you know, back to Neil's point, We have multiple channels. I have an enterprise channel. I have a retail channel. I have a Microsoft bricks-and-mortar store channel. And then I have a MicrosoftStore.com online channel. Each of these businesses has different characteristics and different requirements on the supply chain. But our ability to even federate inventory between our bricks-and-mortar store and our online Microsoft store is a real challenge. Because the systems are only now starting to evolve to enable you to do that. And some of you may have solved some of these problems. At the scale that I have to deal with, I have not been able to solve these problems. And I know that other companies who are customer-centric and are really focused about bringing the customer into their shopping experience are trying very hard to figure out how would we go about this and how would this actually happen. So my presentation today is a little bit about some of the ways that we've thought about innovation in the supply chain and the next gen. And a lot of it comes from the digitization of what we do. It's, you know, I talk a lot about digitizing the supply chain. I don't want to call it a digital supply chain, but everything that we do in supply chain now has to go to the next level. And we've never been at this, we've never had as much data available to us at any point in time. Um, I talked to some people that I know in the industry and they gave me some interesting quotes. Um, Kevin O'Mara, some of you may uh, uh, know him or have heard of him, Um, He was the the chief content officer at SCM World and and then Gartner. Um, He's recently retired. But when I talked to Kevin, he said, supply chains of the future will be almost sentient, able to feel, perceive, and react to situations at an extraordinarily granular level. And what this meant was, as we see things like um, Internet of Things, as we see big data, the ability to gather signals from within the supply chain at any point in time has radically improved. We really have uh, made a gigantic step in terms of having the ability to visualize and understand. Um, But that also comes with its own problems. We put together a kind of a high level um, mission statement, if you like, or I kind of think about it as a North Star. Um, It's to try and help even our teams internally think about the future of supply chain and what it might look like. And it is the supply chain of the future has the interdependency, interconnectedness and intelligence to predict disruptions before they occur. It relies on new approaches that employ sensor technologies, blah, blah, blah. But what it really means is there's so much information out there. If we were able to harness that and gather that and do something useful with it, we could change the nature of supply chain and we could change the nature of the way that people think about supply chain. Ultimately, it's about customer obsession. Supply chain is the key to customer obsession. So in terms of an overview just of Microsoft and what we do, um, we have a very standard, beautiful flower diagram of this is what the supply chain looks like. Um, Everything from new product introduction, strategic sourcing, we've spent a lot of time on integrated business planning to try and connect all of the dots and allow us to do some modeling. Um, Manufacturing, global supply chain, which is my part of of the beautiful diagram, And then the more important areas which are coming to light now are things like um, care, this aftermarket service and the ability to manage the customer even after that sale has happened. And then we've also built a team um, over the last couple of years which we've called Transformation Technology and Analytics because we had this um, light bulb that went off a couple of years ago which kind of said, hey, we've got all this data. Um, We might actually need some people who really understand data To be able to help us understand it and do something with it and so we've actually started hiring um, data scientists now i struggle a little bit with the term data scientist however um, these may be analysts or they may be super analysts i'm not sure they like to call themselves data scientists and they're kind of useful so i i continue to allow them to use that name Um, but we also had this concept which was these data scientists and we're able to you know they understand how to deal with data we can teach them supply chain But these may actually be some of the supply chain leaders of the future based on the way that we see things panning out. We spend a lot of time in college recruiting and we spend a lot of time with uh, universities, um, as I'm sure many of you do. And one of the things we've been trying to instill in a lot of those supply chain faculties is you've got to start teaching your kids about data. You've got to start teaching your kids about analytics because whether or not you see it right now, in five years, this is going to be everything to do with supply chain you're going to have to be able to understand data at that level to be successful. Um, In terms of the numbers, um, I'm not quite as big as Nike, but we will build and ship around 200 million units um, this year. Uh, We'll ship those into about 122 countries around the world. Um, Our supply chain generates about one terabyte of data um, every single day in terms of transactions. We'll spend about $8 billion this year. We manage a large number of suppliers, but our supply chain is completely outsourced. Microsoft does not own any manufacturing facilities, and we do not own any distribution centers ourselves. Everything is outsourced to third-party manufacturers or um, 3PLs or 4PLs. Um, In terms of the number of orders that we manage at any point in time, somewhere around the 1.7 million, 2 million orders that are processed through SAP into our system – Um, And then in terms of our ship to locations, so because we manage that online business and direct to consumer, um, in any given year we'll ship to about 1.3 million unique addresses um, around the world. So when I think about next generation supply chain and I think about what that means and what it is that actually has to transform... We really do boil it down to this concept of digital transformation. Um, Being able to have your supply chain with a digital backbone we think is incredibly important. And it kind of all begins um, with data. Um, Your data sources have to be trusted, they have to be validated, and this in turn will build some level of credibility. Um, This is not an easy thing to do. In any given supply chain, the number of touch points and the number of different uh, data streams that you have to ingest in any given day uh, means a huge amount of complexity. So we've built some interesting concepts such as data lakes. Uh, We use the cloud quite extensively in terms of being able to harness all that data into one place. But even today, we still have master data management problems. We still have issues in terms of how that data flows through different upstream and downstream systems to be able to then layer some analytics on top of it. In terms of once you have that data, the next thing that you have to figure out is the intelligent use of that data. We see the cloud as um, a real opportunity here in terms of being that aggregator and being that place where you can pull everything in together. But then you've got to be able to have an analytics engine which goes on top of it. Because it's no longer about searching through the huge amounts of data. I get one terabyte of data a day. I couldn't employ enough people to continually look at that and try and figure out what's happening or where the issues are. So we've created some interesting machine learning applications, some good analytics engines which run across the data, and look for variations and look for patterns, which actually allow us to do something with it. Then we've again made another transition. Traditionally in supply chain, you were looking at what happened last week or what happened last month and reporting on it and then trying to figure out what that actually meant. Um, With our current technology and the amount of data that's readily available to us, our supply chain really has moved into this scenario of real time. We are now actually transacting in real time. We care less about what happened last week and more about what happened yesterday so that we understand what's happening today to be able to predict tomorrow. And so that transition was actually quite challenging from a people perspective because we had to change the mentality of, hey, here's what happened and here's all the reasons why it wasn't really our fault, even though we are supply chain. Um, But now these things are happening real time. You see the same type of challenge um, just in terms of product quality, So again, it used to be that if you had an issue with a product that was in the market, it took some time for that customer reaction to filter through either back to retail or back to Microsoft itself. Now, as soon as we release a product, if there's any flaw whatsoever, that is blogged within seconds of that product hitting the market to the vast audience and the entirety of social media. And so being able to move into that real-time world has been super exciting and super challenging because, again, you've got to keep people focused. And then there's this opportunity for collaboration. Um, If you're able to start connecting some of those data streams, it will give you the next level of thinking in terms of what you can do. So again, to go back to the example of federating your inventory across multiple supply chains, your ability to actually ingest that information and your ability to understand and collaborate with different substream systems is immense. Now, we have been challenged with this, and we've actually found a couple of third-party aggregators um, out in the marketplace who we now leverage who aggregate a point-of-sale information from different retailers because, as many of you know, no two retailers actually seem to have exactly the same system. Um, So we could either go and form relationships with the thousand direct partners that we have, or we could find people who've already figured out how to do this. So we're working with a couple. We've got one partner in Australia, one in Japan, Um, a couple in Europe, who actually aggregate that point-of-sale information. Um, They're very well partnered with the retailer themselves. And what they do is they aggregate, they understand in-store inventory, and then they create what would be classed as a pseudo-purchase order to Microsoft to be able to then replenish. So we know at any point in time what's on the shelf, but also what sold yesterday and what's selling today. And we're able then to take that in as, if you like, extreme demand sensing to then figure out what it is that we need to build to support future inventory. Now, as we're working through the model, we're trying desperately to apply machine learning. We're trying to help them understand the concept of artificial intelligence because ultimately, if you now have the history of everything that's happened um, for a certain product category in a certain store, you should be able to predict what's going to happen next to a level of accuracy which is probably better than any forecast that you can put together today. Now, we're at this interesting point whereby we've had some successes and we've had some disastrous failures because in-store promotions tend to happen at a rapid, st- uh, in a, in a rapid pace. very hard to build those into the model. Consumer behavior can be somewhat erratic um, depending on what's happening at the time we figured that we may need to actually start thinking about social media and understand the patterns of what drives consumer behavior to then be able to adopt that in as part of the demand sensing signal to then figure out the supportability aspect of it. So as you think about even the presentations that you've heard today, the information from Facebook is super critical because that is actually what I would think is the beginning of us being able to understand consumer behavior and then actually do something with it as part of a greater analytics engine. But irrespective, from a supply chain perspective, we're really clear. Data is the new currency. Everything that we think about, everything that we do, how we think about designing supply chains we first and foremost begin with data and it needs to be trusted. So I thought I would give you a couple of case studies in terms of hey it's really great me talking philosophically about how important this is but what are we doing to actually move supply chain forward what are the things that what are some of the innovations that we've actually um instilled in our supply chain which i think are making a difference and the first one i'm going to talk about is um, a transport management system so i'm just going to assume that most of you in the room know what a transport management system is is that a fair assumption Okay, I see lots of nodding heads. If anybody doesn't, um, you can just Wikipedia it very quickly and, and it'll give a better explanation than I ever could. But from what my team tell me, a transport management system is all about understanding your entire global network. At any point in time, I'm moving about 120,000 parcels um, around the world in different countries in different modes. When we started on this journey, um, and we used data as our currency and said, this is where we need to begin, we looked at our outsourced supply chain and we realized that As we'd grown, um, we'd also become somewhat fractured and decentralized. We were running seven disparate um, transport management systems with different vendors around the world. And while some of those were definitely best in class, we were struggling to get a global picture. And so we went through this exercise of actually consolidating those into one transport management system. Um, And the concept of this was we needed to have global visibility. Uh, We worked with a partner um, called C.H. Robinson, who some of you will know and love as well, and one of their subdivisions called TMC. And we brought this concept to them of uh, entire visibility of our supply chain at any point in time. We wanted to know where every single product in our moving supply chain was, um, irrespective of mode, irrespective of location. And so we worked with them to partner with a couple of other um, third-party companies, uh, Fleetmon, FlightAware, And for the first time, we brought together all of our air traffic, all of our ocean traffic, and then all of our um, road network through our existing carriers, uh, UPS, FedEx, and um, Bartolini, and all the people that you will know. Um, And we brought that all together under one TMS, and then worked with uh, C.H. Robinson and TMC in terms of building a visibility platform. Now, what was the purpose of this? We figured out that if we aggregate all of this together, it will not only give us a visibility, but it will allow us to start analyzing and understanding more about how we're actually using our freight network and what's going well and what's not going well. Um, it allowed us to have real-time metrics and KPIs, which we leverage our own Power BI for, so that again, we have real-time visibility into what's happening. So this is just a couple of screenshots of what it actually looks like. But um, very fancy UI, you can see all my boats all over the world, you can see planes, um, but then when you actually get down into the levels of detail, you'll see these um, concentric circles. And what this was, was again, when you're, uh, when you're looking at 120,000 movements per day, our team were focused on whatever the latest fire was. And so what this allowed us to do by having a global vision was actually be able to say, look, anything that's in the network and it's on time, we'll leave it be anything that's already super delayed that we can't do anything with we will also let that be anything that's at risk is where we're going to focus anything that we might be able to pull in and delight the customer that's where we want to focus so we change the mindset of even our team working on this to say no longer do we need to look at everything let's focus on the things that we can impact the things that we can change which will actually help our customer Um, as i said we take in all the information from flights, from vessels, from everything else, millions of data points every day, which are then actually transposed into this beautiful UI. And then we started saying, OK, well, that's kind of interesting, but I'm not sure what problem I've just solved. So now I've got global visibility. What else can we do with it? So again, we looked to data and we looked to machine learning, and we started applying some of the concepts and adding some algorithms in. And so what it does is the system, the machine, now looks at all of our different loads and looks at our potential to aggregate. It looks at our potential to consolidate. It understands road patterns, it understands rail patterns, and it's able to do something with those in terms of actually optimizing the route to make sure that we get the product to the customer in the fastest possible way. We then built an engine um, which actually starts to predict. So whenever something is late, what it actually does is, instead of just telling us, hey, this is late, too bad, um, sure sucks to be you in supply chain, it actually starts to look at all the relevant information that it can pull in from any system that it can find, and it starts to actually create a prediction in terms of when that product will actually arrive. So the example that you can see here, something moving with um, Schneider Logistics on a truck, it was supposed to deliver on 123. We now actually predict that, of course, it's delayed 99%. The The prediction is it will be delayed. But we actually give an ETA of when it's going to arrive and that ETA was 124. Now, again, it doesn't seem like rocket science, but what it does is it then creates an automatic alert to the account manager for that particular um, customer whose delivery is delayed, and they get this little pop-up screen which says, hey, just so you know, we've had a delay in shipping, there's been an event, this has happened. However, here's the estimated time of delivery for the product, and we're about 95% accurate in terms of that engine that we've built to estimate So straight away, we think we've improved the customer experience, and this is only the start of what we think we'll be able to do with all of this. The second case study, and the one that I get um, really intrigued by, was around customer query management. So, like many of you today, I have numerous touch points with the customer. Um, customers like to contact me a lot to tell me how useless I am and how terrible supply chain is, and also tell me all of their problems that I'm not sure I really care about, but um, you know, I'm customer obsessed, so I have to. But I think about customer management in three different ways. We have customer account management, we have returns management and credit reconciliation, and then we have query management. And we looked at this and said, we employ a lot of people today who do nothing else but answer the phone um, as Microsoft to deal with the customer on every type and every thought around each one of those queries. How do we make this better? How do we digitize this experience? So we took what we thought was the simplest one, which was query management, and we worked with Accenture as our partner. And what we did was we said, look, we get a huge amount of questions and queries today Um, from our customer base via email. So let's talk about robotics and what we can do here. So working with them, we built a couple of robotic platforms um, to try and differentiate this experience. So today I have around a team of around 25 um, call center operatives with a 72-hour SLA in terms of responding to email queries from the customer. So we introduced some uh, bots, um, about seven in total. The first bot reads the email. It used Microsoft Cognitive Services. Um, sorry, I have to talk about our own products because, you know. Uh, but it used Microsoft Cognitive Services to then scan that email and pull from it what it believes is relevant information. Um, customer order, a customer name, customer address, dates and times. It then auto-populates um, a query sheet. Um, the query sheet is a customer management tool which is already in existence that we had people manually actually filling in today. Um, It auto-populates that query. That query then contacts four other bots. Those bots go into all of our uh, management systems, SAP, our transport management system, our warehouse management system, to pull the relevant information. And then another bot takes all of those feeds and auto-populates an email and sends it back to the customer. Sounds pretty cool, huh? Our SLA was 72 hours. Um, with our bot process in place, we've got that down to under nine minutes. And our success rate at the minute is around, we're about 90% accurate in terms of the information that we actually send back to the customer. And now we're applying machine learning, whereby whenever we kick out an exception, we have a dedicated team who read the exception and then instruct the robot in terms of how to, how to think about that scenario in the next instance. And so the machine's continually learning and continually understanding more. And we've only taken one small part of that customer interaction, which is query management, and we think that we've transformed it into something actually quite special in terms of our ability to respond. Now, everybody gets very excited about let's automate everything. Robots rule. Um, I've got you know, challenges from my team who go, well, Dave, if robots are doing everything, what do I do? And it's like, okay, everybody calm down. We're not Skynet last I looked. However, this is the first step in a journey whereby when you start thinking about some of those processes which require a huge amount of manual effort, the technology is already there and the technology is already present in terms of being able to do something very special with that and actually change it into an automated process which ultimately will will allow you to focus on things which will differentiate you as a supplier or differentiate you as a seller to your customer, which is exactly what I'm all about. So when I think about overall in our transformation, I think about it in three steps. I think that wave one, it's about getting connected. It's about understanding the data, being able to pull that in, making sure that it's accurate and aligned, and then automating where you can. The second step is about getting predictive. It's about working smarter and faster. It's moving from this reactive to this predictive because even if I take my last example, the interesting part is automating the process. The really cool part is being able to think about machine learning and artificial intelligence. And I think about them in three steps. Robotic process automation followed by machine learning followed by artificial intelligence. And if I follow that path, I think about it as, hey, It's not going to be very long before I will be able to understand exactly the customer behavior, why they're asking me a question in the first place, how I'm going to respond to it, and then I'm going to be able to predict it. I will be able to reach out to the customer before they even get the chance to actually ask me the question, giving them the information that they know and want. Now I think about it as a customer and go, geez, I'm not sure if I really want that but I love my Amazon experience, and I love the way that Amazon continually keeps me informed of all of the things that are happening with my order cycle. If I'm able to take that and do that at a retail level or at an enterprise level, I think that could be quite cool. So we're only beginning, and that's why this Wave 3 cognitive approach in terms of being intelligent and empowered is so exciting in terms of where this might go. So, real-time... Practical application. Uh, We run a supply chain. We have all of the environmental challenges and everything else that happens. Um, I've taken some some interesting examples. Um, I'm currently actually running a live demo with uh, Hurricane Michael. Um, We did Hurricane Florence. This was the winter storm that hit the East Coast um, uh, very earlier on this year. Um, With social media and AccuWeather and everything else that we could get our hands on, we knew that the storm was coming. Everybody knew that the storm was coming. We had a relatively good prediction in terms of where that storm was going to land and the timing around it. So what we did was we overlaid our current order book on top of all that information. And we figured out that there was around 350 deliveries that were going to be impacted, either going to be in the path of the storm or there was going to be a disruption which would um, hamper our ability to deliver. So what we did with those 350 orders is we pulled them in. We actually went in manually and we pulled those orders in. We got the product to the customer before the storm hit. Now, we looked at that and said, that's kind of interesting. Um, Supply chain is a living, breathing thing. It's a machine. It's a machine that's going to get smarter and more intelligent. Things like a storm, things like Hurricane Michael, things like Hurricane Florence, there is so much information available. You can actually now start to think about translating those into supply chain events. A disruption can become a supply chain event if you understand that disruption and you understand it as a supply chain event you can actually teach your machine to then dynamically reroute inventory to accommodate it within the next year for sure um, we will have the capability whereby some of these especially uh, meteorological type events but our supply chain will actually understand what those are they will understand that those are a disruption And our supply chain will actually be able to think and understand what disruption that might cause and what to do with that disruption. It's going to take some time. We're still at the very early um, inference of it, but we're super excited about what that could mean going forward and what it could mean not just for supply chain, but also for the customer itself. Um, To close, it's an incredibly exciting time in supply chain. This is a point of inflection. Leveraging big data, leveraging IoT, there's just gonna be more and more information. Our ability to grasp that, ingest it, and do something powerful with it is incredibly exciting. Hopefully this gives you some um, concept of some of the things that we're thinking about, but we're only at the beginning. Um, I didn't mention blockchain today because I don't know how to talk about it. I've told other people in the industry, I'm pretty sure that blockchain is the answer. I just haven't figured out what the question is yet because it's going to require so much mass adoption, and we're going to have to change the way that we live and think about supply chain. But ultimately, in the next decade, it will become more important. We're just not ready to talk about it yet, but it starts to give you an inference into how this might all go. Thank you so much for your attention. I really do appreciate um, being here, and thank you so much, guys, for the invitation to speak. Thank you.